2: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Four Corners podcast. I am Shad here with Matt and Brad. Guys, how are you?
3: I'm doing good, Shad. I'm, I'm ready for Halloween. Awesome.
0: <laughs> yes, um, Matt was just chasing me with an axe through a hedge mage's earlier. I don't know what that was about. But, um... <laughs> yeah,
2: that's, that's, that's some pretty intense cosplay is what that is. Mm-hmm. Um, we want to say thank you, everybody out there, for joining us. We've got some shout outs to take care of. Uh, the first one is, as always, goes to Collar and Elbow, the wrestling brand, collar and CollarAndElbowBrand.com. Use the promo code 4 Podcast. That's the number four. Capital C in Corners, capital P and Podcast with no spaces to save 10% off your order. And I do actually have another shout-out. Since we're around Halloween time, I was mm-hmm. talking with some friends of mine who have uh, their own podcast that gets into the the weird and the creepy called Grave Digger radio um, their episodes are about 30 minutes a shot and they actually just did a, a little three-part series about horror movies with a professor who specializes in horror films so it's interesting it's an interesting listen. I encourage you guys to check them out Grave Digger radio and with those shout outs
3: got hey, hey Chad? Yes, sir. I will just point out that Collar and Elbow actually has a Halloween themed t shirt. Uh, they have what's called the Four Headless Horsemen. <laughs> they have the Four Headless Horsemen. <laughs> yes. So uh, if anyone wants to order that uh, for Halloween, I'm not sure if they can rush it out to you, but still, it's a fun t shirt. So that's, is. Uh, that's on sale right now, $20. Cool. And if you use our promo code, you can get even more off that. Yes. So. I think they have an Undead Head one, too.
2: Um, oh really yeah oh yes they do frankenhead frankenhead that's what it is Mm -hmm. yeah and um i believe there is a ouija version of one as well but yeah Mm -hmm. they've got they've got lots of seasonal stuff and you know it's going to be super comfortable yep and so that's our
3: other shout out is in matt's hands uh yeah that'd be to the man that you want to share all of your halloween candy with orlando cologne
0: would you say you his know what? credit what fine? Uh huh. Yes. <laughs> yeah.
3: Ooh, that sounds like a segue.
0: Yes. Sorry, I stepped on. All- I thought you were done, and I stepped all over you. No, I was just
3: gonna make a joke about how like uh, Orlando Cologne is a nice guy, so he uh, he won't just take the best candies like the Butterfingers and all that. Uh, he'll take a, he'll he'll be happy to take some Almond Joy or a mound something that you're not really that partial to. I'm partial to. As long as you'll share. it.
0: Can I do Can yes. I do a side shout-out since we did the mm-hmm. AEW crate last week? Yeah. I actually got, and I sent you guys pictures of everything I got. I got the Pro Wrestling Tees crate. I think it's just Pro Wrestling crate. Mm, and yep. I did the Halloween one. And I've done quite a few loot boxy things over the years. And this is the first one I feel like I actually got my money for
1: mm-hmm.
0: out of. So I got um, two T-shirts. One was like a chibi evil Uno shirt and then I got a three D Danhausen shirt. Mm. And then I got a Darby Allen autographed eight by ten. Um a demolition sticker. Uh Matt is probably going to try and steal my Papa Shango face paint that they sent.
3: That was actually awesome. (laughs)
0: Yeah that was Uh, Brad
3: Brad sent me a picture of that and it's like I am was instantly jealous. I kinda wanted that.
0: Yeah, Justin's upset about the Chibi evil Uno Mm.
3: shirt. Uh, they just, I guess, um, when we're recording this is October 26th, Tuesday night. They just concluded the Jericho Wrestling Tour, the tour, yeah. the,
0: the cruise.
3: Yeah, the cruise. Uh, and they had a bunch of obviously a bunch of AEW talent there, and some non AEW talent like uh, Danhausen was on that. Uh, and I guess there was a video that was circulated last night where it was actually Abaddon <laughs> doing karaoke. Wow, uh, and it's okay. it's a uh, same thing too for to be seen. It's is it something. is it in gimmick karaoke? Uh, I I kind of. I mean she's uh. not she's not full in like her whole like <laughs> zombie uh, makeup, but she does have like makeup on, and but she's singing like uh, Bodies by Drowning Pool, oh, and okay. she she's doing like a full like death metal cookie monster growl when she does it. So (laughs) it was kind of fun.
2: I just love the description. Mm -hmm. So um, uh, I have, I actually did get a few pro wrestling crates um, a couple of years ago. When we did uh, our uh, Christmas giveaway, not last year, but year before there was a bunch of stuff from some pro wrestling crates. I had gotten that I put into that. It was really good stuff, but I wanted to make, you know, I was like, well, if we're going to do a giveaway, I want to make it, you know, good. So, um, yeah, it had some had some good stuff. So, yeah, uh, pro wrestling crates are are good. They're worth it. All right. So um, we had our segues. And uh, so, Brad, what are we doing this week? OK, we had our segway.
3: <laughs> oh, no, he lost. Right?
2: Yeah. We had our segues um, this week, since it's Halloween, we have decided to dig in and we are getting into we decided to pick a Halloween movie for it and yeah. we opted for the 1980 Stanley Kubrick The Shining. Mm-hmm. Now, this was interesting because I, I, I had basically seen uh, seen the movie, but not like front to back, like, the whole, like, I'd seen pieces here and there. So, um, it was, it was, it was, it was this weird, not really spoiled, but kind of recognizing stuff as it's pieced together as I go, kind of, um, kind of experience for me.
3: Uh, Matt, you had read the book, hadn't you? Uh, I read the book, it's been, like, a long time since I've read the book. Uh, like, literally, like, 20 years ago. Long time. I
0: I read mm-hmm. it I'm trying to think I think I've read it twice. I read it once like it, it was an audiobook at work and then my wife and I did it on like a trip to North Carolina and back <sighs> maybe mm. seven okay. years ago.
2: So we had we've got some um, different viewpoints on I'm going strictly by the movie. Brad's gonna be have a very book influenced view on it and Matt's gonna be somewhere in between so right. we're kind of hitting it from some different angles
0: the book and the movie are not compatible in my opinion right They're very different
3: things they are very different actually yeah
2: so where do we want to start with this um, what what uh, where do we want to begin here well I Who would wants... like
0: to begin with Shad this is really your first time seeing it like as a singular. Um, event. So I know you've probably seen bits and pieces of it. You've seen the parodies of it over time and you had an idea of what you're getting into. So what did you think of it like as a, as a, well, as a, as an experience and like, as a film, like seeing the whole thing all the way through now?
2: It is very well put together and the uh, predominant feeling I would put to it is Uh, tension just watching it from beginning to end it's it's just an escalation of tension over time Mm -hmm. it's one of those that it oddly I don't at least personally I look at it and I don't know how much I would call it horror as it's more of kind of a tense thriller I guess or maybe that's a horror subgenre
0: I think but, um I think the first time you would have seen it without like all the parodies and you know pretty much having it spoiled for your entire life mm-hmm. I could see it like as a first time experience being horror because they show the hand of what's going to happen mm-hmm. and so that tension and stuff is building up to something you don't want to see which could be horror mm-hmm.
2: Okay because well and they're... and there's definitely horror aspects in it um but it, at least to me there's more I me mean, it's more about the atmosphere which is not well, i guess when you think horror classically you got to examine where you're coming from with it cuz for you is a is a horror movie like is that slasher movies or you know is is horror all about the atmosphere it, you got to kind of parse that down a
0: little bit i think horror to me is um I think good horror has a sense of helplessness to it. Okay. Um I think that's what makes the first nightmare on Elm Street movie so good. Mm-hmm. Okay. Is um is that Freddy attacks you in your dreams where you're absolutely a hundred percent like at his mercy.
1: Okay, and it's, yeah. It's, I can it's see also
0: that. and it's also he's attacking like you have to sleep, like you can only stay up for so long before
2: mm-hmm.
0: you have to confront it.
3: Um, Matt, what do you think? So I, I saw, this is not the first time I've seen the movie. I actually randomly, my wife, my wife and I, I, I've explained before, like my wife doesn't really like horror movies, but, uh, she, she will watch horror movies during Halloween, Mm -hmm. uh, during the month of October. And it's been our goal this year, uh, because last year we were like literally in the process of moving. So we didn't really get to watch a lot of movies. And my wife is really bitter about that. So we, this, this year we're, our goal was to watch like eight movies during October. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we have pretty much just about hit that by the end of, by the end of the week. So by Halloween, we'll have definitely hit that number. Mm -hmm. Um, And she gets into it. Like she doesn't like horror movies. They scare her, but she, she gets into watching them for, for the month of October for Halloween. And we randomly, I randomly picked The Shining. That was before we even decided on doing this movie for our show. Uh, So I I watched it literally like a week ago and I had seen the movie originally, God, when I was like a teenager, maybe like when I was very, very young. And when I first saw it, I really enjoyed the movie and I thought it was super scary. And then now watching it again, um, and I kind of want to go through this, you know, as we discussed the film tonight, I, I actually did not like it as much. I still think it's a good movie, but I there are things about it that bugged me. There are ways that the characters were presented that kind of annoyed me. And I guess probably because after having seen the movie before and read the book, uh, it really depends upon how you want to, how you view the movie or how you want to view the movie. Because Mm -hmm. I think, I think Kubrick's, he didn't try to make one definitive, uh, decision he kind of left some things up to the audience but to me at watching it again it's clear he was more edging into uh
0: looping timeline is kind of
3: there is so there are some supernatural elements but it, i think he was more going on the premise more that it's just like it's jack going crazy uh and that that kind of like being the focus of it versus are if you're someone who wants To be more of a supernatural horror story or supernatural like ghost story almost, uh, which I am, I think that's something that the book did really well. Then you're going to be left like a little disappointed. And watching this again as an adult, uh, I was kind of disappointed because I felt like they really, they should have played up the supernatural elements a little more than they did. I thought, and it's kind of a lot of things were left, in my opinion more ambiguous whereas if you read the book like the book like the supernatural elements are explicit like they yeah. it is it is a
0: the hedge monster I, is a move and stuff yes
3: and other things other things that you've seen uh there it's way more horrific and explicitly supernatural and i think it was done well um and i kind of i kind of want more of that but uh well, i mean, i still the, I um... agree with think that it's like it is uh it's like a deeply unsettling film because you are seeing the utter breakdown of the family unit here and of specifically of Jack Torrance. And I think it's kind of fascinating. Yeah. See, the thing that
2: I get out of this is it seems to me that there is plenty, there is plenty of um, supernatural, supernatural aspect to it because it's not, yeah, the, the main focus is Jack is unraveling. But given how much stuff that Danny experiences before Jack fully comes undone, uh, I'm like, nah, there, there's plenty of, of supernatural well, in, here that I'm going to lean to.
0: In the house also, even, well, in both, um, but in the movie especially, a lot of, when he's unraveling, it's the the we'll call it we'll just call it the overlook and mm-hmm. like the entity it it plays upon his ego as yes. he unravels like that's how yep. it attacks him is through his ego even like and there's some things i picked up on like when um when he gets locked in the freezer
1: mm-hmm.
0: and like grady's thinking like grady's grady's like thinking about letting him out like he's just like man like your wife's just better than you like before, like the stuff gets really bad, like.
2: Oh yeah, it it it, it doesn't just drive him mad; it manipulates him into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, because not only does it say it's like, oh, you know, your wife's totally not. It also says, it also um attacks his pride and it's like, are you able to do the job? Like, it, it's a two pronged attack that that's breaking him psychologically. Or as Darby Allen says, you're not going to break me mentally, but uh, it, it's attacking him psychologically it's like breaking him in multiple ways
0: but there's some things though, like um, that I think the movie does understate a bit because the woman um, in the tub is very much a te- is a very strong and terrible entity in like the books
3: yes okay. that's something no. that, that that's one example of where I thought the book. Did a fantastic job, and the movie is just weird because you see in the movie you see uh the sh- Dick Halloran talking to Danny, and Danny kind of through his shine is able to pick up like that Dick Halloran is, is scared of that room, mm-hmm. and Dick pl- plays it off where it's like you know you don't need you don't need to know about that you don't need to like go into that room at all. Uh yeah. Whereas it's much bigger thing in the book, and I understand that you can't have a movie that's You know, twenty hours long. There's a lot of stuff that you have to cut, but they they wanted to keep some of it, obviously, and they kept Mm -hmm. some of it. But I didn't think it really worked out well because you see Danny go in the the in the hotel room, and then next thing you know, like he's almost catatonic, like he's been attacked by this entity, and then you see Jack later being like, he comes yes, and then. And but I I, I felt bad because it's like 40 years later, uh, the the special effects are much better now. But it's you just see like an old woman with like uh, weird makeup on.
0: I think that it's not. I, it wasn't, I think
3: it, it wasn't like scary to me.
0: I think it holds up in certain ways though, just because it looks fake though. I mean, if mm-hmm. that was still in front of you. It would you know the weirdness of it mm-hmm. would really screw with you.
2: So in the in the book is the the woman in the room is she treated as a separate entity because
0: she is um it's been a while she either well she pretty much committed suicide in there yeah and um so she kind like a lot of it is like a lot of bad stuff has happened there over like a century Mm
3: -hmm. yeah
0: and a lot of that's there but she's a particularly bad like incident
3: Mm okay and um i that's i actually had to try and i was trying to like sell that to my wife um because my wife watched it she enjoyed the film but i was trying to to explain that there's so much more backstory and things that were fleshed out in the book and that that the entity is one of them and Mm -hmm. there was a lot of bad stuff that It happened at the hotel, and I was kind of trying to explain to her, like that. No, like this. A lot of bad stuff happened to the hotel. It kind of implies, uh, in what either that's a that's a concept that I I really appreciated that that King did, and I thought that they didn't really go into in the movie at all. But it's it's an implication or a suggestion that either the awful things that happened at the hotel, of which there were many over time. Yeah. Either the the negative like psychic energy of that uh kind of formed almost like a hive mind of of evil or negative energy or ghosts what have you in the hotel, or that it effectively it created like this like eldritch abomination.
0: Well, in um Doctor Sleep, which is a sequel. <clears throat> And there's a movie. Mm. Um, yes. The movie, the movie's hit or miss. I recommend watching it um, regardless of that. But so essentially in the book, he traps her in like his mind. Mm-hmm. And they have these things that are pretty much shine eaters. I don't, they have a name, but I don't remember. It's been uh, a while. True knot, I think.
3: Yeah. The true knot. So like at,
0: at the end, yeah. he essentially takes them back to the overlook and he unleashes her on them.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Like he releases her and she goes right after them. So I mean that's how that's how big and bad she is as like an entity.
2: Yeah. See, my read on it, at least from the movie, because like I said, I'm going at it strictly from the movie standpoint, was that all of this stuff that we saw was just machinations of the Overlook. The the manager offhandedly made a reference. He said, "Oh well, supposedly, supposedly it was built on a uh, on an old Indian burial ground," but you know. And it's like he's saying you know this this is not a um you know that was just a rumor or something like that but you know it's it's setting up a, a a at this point a pretty well used trope this may be one of the trope originators but um you know it's setting that up being like oh you know okay not only did bad stuff happen here but you know there's there's a vengeful aura going
0: and and so the- book too like you get bits of it here when the house is kind of screwing with Wendy but in the book you kind of she kind of gets like teleported back to this like costume party and that's yeah. where a lot of those entities um, really come in like the furry um, and the guy in the hotel room that just kind of creepily look at her
3: uh, well it's like the, the the furry basically is giving one guy like a blowjob yeah. mm-hmm. um, but the thing is they turn that that's something another, another thing I didn't like about the movie is that that kind of just throws that in there. And if you yeah. had no understanding of the backstory there, and I did because I read the book years, even years ago, I, I kind of understood. If you just saw that, you'd be like, okay, that's weird. And my wife, who had never read the book and had not seen the movie before, she uh wasn't like, what was that? Mm-hmm. She was kind of just. Shrugging her shoulders, where it's like, okay, I guess there's a lot of like weird stuff and ghosts there. I guess that was just part of it, but she didn't fully get it. The one thing I did think
0: I thought it was effective though, because like for me, like you've been alone in a, I mean, in, in, let's take the context out. You've been alone in this hotel for like four months. Mm. You're running around trying to find your son, and then these two like creepy, like ghost people are obviously engaged in sexual activity and they just stop and look at you. Like that's pretty.
2: Yeah, that's unsettling. weird. Unsettling. And I, at that point in the film with the tension as high as it is, it's it seems like the Overlook is trying to make Wendy come apart at the seams by just piling
3: more weirdness on top of it. I didn't I didn't like that scene. That's uh, fair. I did think that the scene where she goes into and she sees like all the skeletons. Uh, that I felt was effective. And then the other the other two Things that were happening like right after that was that she she like turns around at some point and it's like an old dude with with like blood coming down his head which again forty year old special effects that's like, probably the best they could do but it did look like he was clearly like an old dead person like a ghost with mm-hmm. like and she's like what did the guy say is like a great party like yeah and mm-hmm. and then the scene that we had been seeing like uh, clips from all throughout the movie the scene where it's like blood pouring out of the I think they're, like, elevator doors. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that that happened. Like, I felt those were effective. And that's when... That, I did appreciate that sequence, uh, the sequences of of her seeing uh, things, because then it kind of... The pendulum, I felt, was swinging back towards, like, this is someone who, throughout the entire film, wasn't like... She wasn't like Danny, who had the shine. He could see things. And she wasn't like Jack, who was clearly being influenced by the hotel or just going crazy, whatever your interpretation is. When they kind of had her start seeing supernatural elements, then I like that because it swung the pendulum back to it's like the hotel is going off the rails and bad shit is happening. There's a climax coming. Mm -hmm. And this person who throughout the entirety of the film had been presented as like the stable rock, like normal person, quote unquote normal. When she starts seeing bad shit happening, supernatural things, then, you know, things are like things are bad. Yes. it's bad and real shit's going down.
0: Now, I do want I I to address something that um, mm-hmm. I kind of agreed with at one point, but I've got as I've seen it this last couple times, I um, I totally disagree with. And I actually blame Stephen King for this narrative, but um, the people that really criticize Shelley Duvall's performance as Wendy Torrance, I highly disagree with.
3: Yeah. In this movie, I I did not know that 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 was a thing uh, but I thought her performance was fine in this and i in talking with you guys before recording this podcast uh, and seeing your interpretations of it I kind of appreciate your guys line of thinking where it's it's if you look at it with a critical eye you pay actually if you pay close attention to it, it she she delivers a much more subtle performance than you would think It doesn't exactly look subtle on the surface because it just looks like. (laughs) Yes, but there there's elements that. That I liked about it, because, again, until until the supernatural stuff is actually blatant and happening right, right in front of her nose, she played that very even keel. And she was taking the interpretation that Jack is just like fucking gone crazy, and even before she sees the obvious evidence of him gone crazy. Uh, like the typewriter scene or when he's literally accosting her and it seems like he's going to, he's going to physically hurt her. Mm -hmm. The scene right after Danny gets attacked by the, by the, the woman in the tub, Mm -hmm. she doesn't, her mind doesn't go to like, Oh, a ghost. We're here with ghosts. a ghost just attacked my son. She's like, Danny, what's wrong? Like, and she sees that he's hurt. And she literally like, looks at her husband who, I didn't feel like they did a great, the best job. They they did a couple lines here and there, which I felt was effective, but they didn't really establish too, too firm that Jack had a, a pre, he was a, basically he was a recovering alcoholic and he had a previous history of domestic violence, especially towards Danny. But she sees him hurt and she immediately turns to Jack and is like, you did this. Yeah. And she then, it like you know her husband has gone off the deep end, or and or the old violence has come back, and, and all of her motivation from then on is about keeping Danny safe and yeah. giving Jack space, which was which and turns out was the worst thing possibly because he only well, further declined from there. But they
0: had well he goes so he goes to the bar after that, and that's where he starts drinking the ghost booze. So Mm -hmm. he's getting a little two sheets to the wind. But then she he obviously tells her because she shows up and she's like, like he said, there's someone in the hotel. Mm -hmm. Because that's the thing I think you have to understand is like, you know, he didn't do it because he went in the room. But like from her perspective, there's only three people in the hotel.
2: Right. There's. And it it doesn't. The film does not separate that out. Uh, I mean, it's it's Kubrick, so there's a lot of stuff that he's going to leave unsaid anyway. Um, the thing that – as I understand that King's original statement with what Wendy was – Wendy was supposed to be like this conventionally attractive regular woman who's thrown into this circumstance. Well – the thing that Shelley Duvall has done very well is she has a uh, downward spiral through all the stresses that's much more clear
0: she's than Jack She's an that's is. been used to like keeping everyone happy that has to rise to the occasion mm-hmm. due well, to the she... circumstances she's in.
2: She gets more and more – clearly more and more harried as the film goes on. She's getting more and more stressed out. Jack Torrance is supposed to do that, but in – the biggest criticism I have of the movie is he's played by Jack Nicholson. And it's like Jack Nicholson goes from Jack Nicholson at a 5 to Jack Nicholson at a 10 over the course of the movie. And it's still – it's Jack Nicholson doing Jack Nicholson things. Like it it does not seem like as steep a descent – Or it does not seem like a huge personality change. It's just Jack from going like, oh, you know, I made as good as it gets to Jack, like full tilt chewing the scenery kind of, you know, Mm -hmm. as there was the King worked on the miniseries years later. And it was while more faithful to the book, it's not better. And Jack Torrance was played by like one of the leads from Wings. But the thing that Mm -hmm. it does well is it shows. Jack coming apart at the seams
0: but wasn't the neighbor from Gremlins in that too.
2: I don't remember. <laughs> they when I when I saw it, the thing that stuck out to me is like, that's a dude from
3: Wings.
0: Yeah.
3: yeah Stephen <laughs> Steven Weber, right? He reads um uh, he reads the It so.
0: Audiobook as an FYI. Oh wow. <laughs> yeah. I uh
3: I did see that miniseries I think there was like late nineties, right? Like ninety
0: seven uh, or ninety eight. It was like a sci fi miniseries.
3: It was, and when I saw it back then, I didn't. I, there are some things I liked about it. I liked that they incorporated more elements of the book, but I also didn't think it was like great. I didn't. Want, right. the part of the thing I disliked the most, even though it is accurate to the book, is that he was like chase. He was chasing everyone with a uh, with a croquet mallet, which is that's the way that's the weapon in the book. I yeah. kind of liked. I had previously seen the, the Kubrick film. I liked the I wanted him to be chasing people around with an axe, because an axe is a more imposing weapon than a mallet, even though. Uh,
2: See, I'm I'm torn on that thought. I understand what you like the the axe is kind of classic at the like the axe murderer trope is classic at this point. Yes. but on the other hand, the 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 roquet mallet in question is a big honking mallet, is scary because. It's not going to kill you with one swing like you're going to it's going to take a while of him wailing on you with it for you. Like it's going to debilitate you, but it's it's not going to kill you immediately. So there's going to be a period where he's he's still hammering away at you.
0: I think the problem with the croquet mallet is for the purposes of a novel, it's fine. But in a visual medium, it's not as good.
2: Well, it. I don't think it's a croquet. I think it's a roquet mallet. Yeah, it's a roquet, mallet, which is a, but, a larger one. Let's say like, you don't um, get
0: you don't react viscerally to him lugging around a big mallet. Then um, and we've learned from the demon that the bigger the mallet, the more um, obviously dangerous <laughs> it is. But um, I just think you don't get that vis, visceral reaction like you do with an axe.
2: Right. Mm. If 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 they had changed it from a roquet mallet to a uh, more standard scary uh bludgeoning weapon like if you were to say the, like the, he found a sledgehammer in the shed or something then that might have worked better
0: i thought but, the mini series too really couldn't recapture the mood of the movie where i think is the was where i think the um the isolation and stuff that the movie portrays is really hard to replicate mm-hmm.
2: so that's i, I want to Point out the thing that I really, really enjoyed um, in the in the Kubrick movie is it it has the feel that's very, um, very tense and kind of unsettling. And we're talking about, you know, the overlook as an entity. And while while we're watching it, I, I think I messaged this to you guys right after I got done. But there's – it's Kubrick, so he doesn't waste any scenes doing anything. Kubrick is such a perfectionist. It's not like he's going to have extraneous shots for filler or anything. But there's this, I don't know, two- or three-minute sequence where the camera is following Danny riding his big wheel around in the hotel, right? Mm -hmm. And he's doing it, and I'm watching this, and I go, was that the same as it was on his last lap?
3: No, that's something that I think is a subtle thing that – you, you have to really kind of if you're paying attention you catch it but well it it, it, uh-huh.
2: it feels wrong and the reason that I caught it is I'm like this is Kubrick why is he doing a shot this long and then I was like wait a minute because he's doing this and it's just Danny riding his big wheel around in a circle playing like you would expect a kid to do but as he's doing it you're getting a little you're getting more and more tense as he does it because you're like there's something not right here um, and so there's, uh, I went reading later and some people pointed out, it's like, oh yeah, there's all kinds of stuff that doesn't work. Like the, the office that they go into at one point that has the window behind it. Mm-hmm. There should not be a physically there. There couldn't be a window behind it. There's there's no way that that could be on an exterior wall given where they they walked in there and stuff I'm like okay mm-hmm. my wife I said, didn't um, track the layout like that but
0: my wife said when they're when they first get there and Danny's playing in some room the twins actually walk in or there behind him
2: yeah uh, when he's early in the game on room.
0: Yeah. yeah early
3: on mm-hmm.
0: which fun side fact um the scene with the twins in the hallway is the scene in that th- they're watching that scene in the drive-in and tw- in um twister when yeah it starts tearing up the screen just as a side yeah. effect if you want to see that extra creepy
2: yeah yeah mm. that that really worked in twister that was a good choice for it but yeah they walk in while Danny's throwing darts right there at the beginning um, and one thing I, I would well we mentioned thinking that uh, Wendy did a good job as kind of unraveling. The other thing that I like about Wendy in the movie is she doesn't break. Like she gets pushed and pushed and pushed, and obviously she's fraying at the edges, and it's it's pushing her, and it's, it's really stri- – but she doesn't snap at any point. She gets pushed to a certain stress level, but she holds it together, and more than once.
0: I I, I think wanted to you were say, pointing that out, Brad. I also want to say, like as far as other performances, the guy that plays Lloyd and like how he he acts, like there's something very wrong with him as he acts. Like he acts like someone probably would in those situations, but he's very like hollow, and uh-huh. um, there's something soulless about him in his delivery that I really thought is good.
2: See, mm-hmm. going back to look up Lloyd because um,
0: he's the bartender
2: yeah oh yeah yeah because he's um he goes to t- it, it lloyd acts kind of like this is a weird way to describe it but lloyd acts kind of like an data from star trek would act if he was just programmed to kind of mirror what the person he was talking to wanted
0: that's a good way to put it actually
2: so it's it's not like he has his own personality. He's just like, oh, I'm here to give you what you ask for and tell you what you want to hear. But it's kind of like yeah, dead beyond that. There's and, dead space behind
0: it. And I also felt really dumb because the guy that um, Halloran calls Larry, when he's coming over and he tells him that the people they hired are totally unreliable assholes.
3: Okay. That mm-hmm.
0: is Apollo's trainer from the Rocky movies, Duke.
3: Oh wow, that guy huh. looks familiar.
0: Yeah, I I did not realize that all these times I watched that, I'm like that guy looks really familiar. Let's see who he is. I'm like, oh, he's yeah, so he's he's a trainer, Duke. Wow. Huh. Okay. It's also funny the Simpsons. Um, I just watched the Simpsons parody of this, and when Willie's in his room when Bart uh, shins him. <laughs> the 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 Scottish woman above his bed is in the exact same pose as the woman in the picture above Dick in his apartment. She yeah, that's quotes. a little
2: odd. That that was that was a little odd thing to have in there is you flash to uh to Richard Halloran in his apartment watching T V and it it like pulls back and it's like, Oh, that's um That's like um, framed porn over your bed there, Halloran. uh...
0: And it's actually interesting. (laughs) If you read it, Dick Halloran actually appears in a flashback from Mike's father talking about his life. Mm -hmm. And they're in this, like, these, like, I don't know if they they were, um, I don't know if they're KKK people, but they set this, like, this um, dance hall that they're in on fire. And Dick Mm -hmm. is, like, with them. And he, like, he tells them, like, no, don't go that way, because, like, you'll die. And he tells them to go another way, and they try and, like, ask him how he knows, and he convinces them to go. And it's like, oh, he just shined, like.
2: Yeah, um I, I'm, I've got the TV Tropes page open right here. Apparently that was called the Legion of White Decency.
0: Okay, yeah, yeah. I, um, I didn't think they were KKK, but they were a similar, like, white nationalist, like, yeah. group.
2: Right. I like, I do like how um, you hear all the stories about about King weaving his stuff together. But I like it whenever it's small stuff like that, because it doesn't have to be that big to tie things together. It just kind of establishes it in the in the same universe.
0: Well, the um, this is a bigger one because he plays more into it. But like the the pastor from Salem's Lot.
1: Oh yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, mm-hmm. he kind of falls into something like he goes through that event, but he, he falls into um, the gunslinger world at some point for like the fifth book. And he actually huh. describes his backstory to like Roland and company. Um, mm-hmm. And like what happened to him after, you know, he totally failed to chase the vampire away with a cross. Okay. Um, so th- he does weave his stuff in. That's a little more brazen, but like, there's a lot, like if you, if you um if you read like the Stand and then you read like the fourth Gunslinger book, they just happen to wander through one of the towns where everyone's dead from the the um super flu. Captain,
3: Captain Trips.
0: Yeah, Captain Trips. I, I I couldn't remember what the second word was, and I just read it. Mm-hmm.
2: The uh, I I kind of feel like the Dark Tower books. It's you kind of get a pass on that because they're explicitly supposed to do that sort of thing.
0: Well, no, they're they're kind of Easter eggs. Okay. Because it's a weird post-apocalyptic world, so everything fits, and if it's something bigger like the guy from Salem's Lot, he explains it, but yeah. um, they're more like Easter eggs. Like, if you know what it is, you know what it is. If you don't, it's like, oh, they're walking through a town where a bunch of people died of, like, some disease. Like, okay, that makes sense,
3: because mm-hmm. that's the world. Yeah, because, yeah, uh... God, I'm trying to think of the King book that was written... Maybe in like the early two thousands. That was an alien invasion book.
0: Was that Under the Dome or whatever?
3: No, that was also alien. But
0: uh, uh, I might be able to tell
2: you
3: here. In they a made second. it into a not very good movie. Uh, let me try and look. So, back. no. Although I did not like that movie at all. Well, they that made that to a movie. They didn't that I didn't like the movie or book. Uh, I, was this one posted?
0: On- truck hitting where he got like weird incredible.
3: yes uh i'm trying to look it up uh, why am i not oh no this is like the filmography hold just on just to him just to, <laughs> while you look this up i'm
0: going to talk about my favorite family guy skit of all time is where brian's like kind of on this journey across america and he hits someone in his veins he's like he's like are you, are you oh my god like are you stephen king he's like no i'm dean koontz and he just like lets him go gets in his car and backs over him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was
2: a, that was a good gag. Uh
3: okay, this is a 2001 book. Uh so I think that was technically after uh the accident. Dreamcatcher?
0: Oh yeah, yeah, okay. yeah.
3: That's that's a weird one that uh that has the quote-unquote shit weasels where it's like an alien invasion, but it's like if you there's like spores and if you breathe in the spores, they turn into basically like almost like uh it's like almost like giant worms or something but they like they basically eat you from the inside and come out of your ass so Wait. they're dubbed, they're right. dubbed the shit weasels but then the the shit weasels turn into uh aliens like like basically uh bipedal hu- humanoid aliens that are the stereotypical grays but that's yeah. not even the final form it's 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 a really weird not very good book yeah. but i bring all that annoying backstory up just to say that there is an easter egg in that book and that at some point the characters are like driving they're they're trying to advance the plot they have to go somewhere and try and find someone to help save humanity but they're driving through this town in maine and then they see like a storm drain and a sign that says pennywise lives and i think they they even get like a glimpse of like a clown uh which obviously is an easter egg back to it Yeah. King is good about stuff like that, where he will throw. So much of his work is interconnected.
0: I think where he really excels, which people that probably don't read him, and like. Because I was one of those kind of snobs when I was younger, like, oh, Stephen King, that's for like. That's for plebes and stuff. But where he's really good is he can bring a character in in just a couple of pages. And make you care enough about them so that it affects you when they're horribly killed after those two pages. Mm. If he wants to. Like that's where he really like weaving a believable character that even if they're like not a good person, they can have some good qualities to them. Or they can just mm. be totally evil, like um Randall flag and everything.
2: Um, I'm gonna i'm not really a king reader i'm just familiar with a bunch of concepts but i was gonna roll back over uh on the movie mm-hmm. where did we want to pick up because there's oh gosh it, it, there's so much going on um
0: it's a movie i think you've been it the more you see it the more you catch too i think it like on a singular viewing you can miss some little bits and pieces
2: I think it foreshadows or it, not so much foreshadows, but it sets up stuff well, too, because um, you have the um, the hedge maze play a role at the end. But it's set up because they, you know, Wendy and Danny go playing it early.
0: Well, they even uh, foreshadowed the ending, though, when he's interviewing, they talk about Grady killing his family. Yeah. Well, and why they only yeah, hired and that's single people to go up there not families but he was like his back was against the wall
2: yeah um that's the the thing in this movie that actually unsettles me the most is whenever you see danny afraid or hurt that just that just hits me right somewhere in the 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 primal brain is, is like no you don't hurt kids um you don't do that yeah and there's there's scenes where danny is seeing something horrible and it flashes to his face and
3: he, his face is him like, wigging out and it's just he's like no t- no 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 completely terrified yeah uh, it's a couple times he's like putting his hands over his eyes to make it go away yeah uh this i know what you're talking about uh chad and i hate to be like that person where it's like this affects me now it's like i I have a child. Uh, she's yeah. almost two, and she has kind of like a shaggy haircut. Mm-hmm. Um, but the way she looks physically right now, she actually looks like a younger version of Danny from mm-hmm. this movie. So it it was kind of funny. It's like an amusing thing. Like my wife and I were watching it. They're like, "Oh my god, looks like a daughter." Because yeah, she has like effectively the same haircut as Danny does in this movie, but there are points when he's like scared or everything like that and it made me like like viscerally uncomfortable because yeah. look the, the the actor looked too much like my daughter yeah uh, and just in general like he's he the actor's young in this probably like how mm-hmm. old do you think this kid is like 5 6 yep. 7 maybe he was 7 when they made it oh he was 7 so he looks yeah. young and it it made me it made me like viscerally uncomfortable which i think mm-hmm. was the goal uh you're supposed to be you, you're supposed to feel very very uncomfortable that he's being targeted and again i hate to be like the, the book is better <laughs> it's like <laughs> yes i most times the book is better because the book has you know however many pages it needs to be to get the, the story across whereas a movie has only so much time and this movie's long it's like a two and a half hour movie but even yeah. then they couldn't convey remotely everything in the book. I get that. Yeah. But the thing that I liked more about the book is that the book the, the hotel is very clearly going after Danny because they it wants him. It wants his yeah, shine very there's,
0: um, there's a point where he he kills a wasp nest and gives him like yes. the, the empty nest and like they wake up one night and the house like resurrected the bees mm-hmm. and had them and they attack Danny in his sleep.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: and that actually plays into the tension between him and Wendy because then she blames him for it Yeah. because kind of a theme that they explore here but like kind of the book it slowly escalates <laughs> in the book is like after the incident with his arm she mm-hmm. never trusted him again
3: yeah I also like that scene in the book because again fitting with the whole theme that the the, the hotel it's it's almost like a hive mind, either a hive mind of ghosts or uh, an entity itself. But it's kind of like that that it's 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 like effectively it's for lack of a better way to describe it, it's like a living entity. Mm-hmm. And they, they King did kind of play with that theme. There was like a I feel like there was a recurring motive with wasp or other type of like you know hive aspects that was clearly kind of playing with the concept that there was that the hotel is like an entity and it's, it's many things that go into it, including like, you know, the, the, the ghost in the bathtub, things like that, that that I liked, I liked that they did that in the book.
0: And the book had a legitimately, I thought terrifying part where Danny's playing in the snow and he like burrows down into the snow Mm -hmm. and he feels that there's something in there with him. And then the hedge rabbit attacks him under the snow yeah, it makes this like super great, like claustrophobic, um, scene.
3: Yeah, the the hedge the hedge is obviously played into the movie, but there is no explicit supernatural elements like that where it's like the hedgy animals. Yeah, they
0: couldn't come from, alive. From what I have read, they wanted the topiary animals in mm-hmm. the movie, but they did not have the technology to make them work, and I think they would have had to have been some terrible like claymation. So I'll, I it would have it like
3: would have probably yeah been, it would have probably been stop motion animation. It would have. <laughs> i i'm sure i should the titans going on yeah i would not have been surprised if they actually did uh i don't know that they did I mean, it would not surprise me if cooper actually probably tried to to do some some stop motion stuff and then it just came off looking hokey so he, he just you know it. i would have they
0: could have they could have made it work with like some hitchcockian like thing mm. where you never actually see the animals move you just hear it off screen like, you hear Danny screaming and he's, like, scratched up or something. And mm-hmm. um, they're like, what happened to him? And he's saying, like, the hedge animals do it. And then maybe they look over and, like, there's, like, a piece of his clothes in, like, the like the topiary animal. Like, I think you could have done yeah. some like something like that, which would have worked. But, mm-hmm. I mean, but I think they were fine being gone. The honestly.
2: hedge maze playing like it did worked very well for the uh for the climax so i'm i'm okay with with how they
3: did it
0: Mm -hmm. yeah and i thought i thought i like the way that danny outsmarts him in the hedge maze too
3: yes yes Uh, so that was something that i thought was clever they they established early on in the film that danny they made it seem like it's just that one time. I imagine you're supposed to imply that with them being there over the winter, they had and, all this t- time.
0: to They were there in the fall too, with nothing to do, so
3: yeah, they, they had all this time to kill. So they, I imagine, like it was probably like a daily thing that, that Danny and Wendy would go walking through the the maze because, like, what else are you gonna do? Like, let's kill some time, have a yeah. Uh, a daily trip around the hedge maze, but they did establish that those two were walk around the hedge maze. So it, it, it was, it seemed almost like throwaway at the time when they first introduced that scene. But obviously it, it clearly was very important later on in the film. They, but that, that scene established that Danny was very familiar with the maze. Like you could anticipate that he basically memorized the, the layout of the maze, but Jack did not. And then when it snowed and there's just like snow everywhere, and Danny is running through the maze to, to escape, I I thought it was really clever that it's like he clearly knew the maze, so he knew how to go around the maze, and not be caught, but also lay basically, basically lay a trap for Jack, and that he he knew where to go. He needed like get Jack hopelessly lost, especially in the snow, where
0: uh, his footprints are gonna. Continue. Like as he walks around, his footprints mm-hmm. are going to cause further confusion.
3: Yes, and yeah. Jack Jack was running through that like a like a bowl in a china shop. Like
0: and he, and he also it should be noticed too. It should be mm-hmm. noted too, and I thought it played in really well at this point. So when she hits him on the head with the bat, he screws his ankle up, and that kind of like yes. hinders mm-hmm. him as you know he further kind of moves around on it. You can see him losing mm-hmm. mobility. And you got to think in the snow and stuff where I think that actually does get a little more pronounced. He's he's running on a bad wheel. So, I mean, he's only got and he doesn't have it's probably 20 below zero up there. Mm -hmm. So you think he's probably got he's probably got 15, 20 minutes before he's starting to get hypothermic.
3: Yeah, I didn't think about that. Uh, My wife did ask me afterwards if basically that the hotel was kind of possessing him, whether it was the hotel's possession of him was affecting his health or that he was effectively because of the headshot that he got. If he was slowly dying from that, like it fractured his skull or what have you, which I guess there's, you could, you, could, you know ponder that. But I think the fact that he's like running through, and a detail that i notice is that he's he's running through and he's you know he has an axe in his hand he's you know limping because of the the ankle injury but he starts clutching at his chest mm-hmm. uh, to me that i think the implication they're trying to draw is that if you're running around in the cold literally just it doesn't have to be sub zero temperatures if you if it's just like 20 degrees outside so it's like it's cold if you're going to go for a run or like a, a brisk walk around everything like that, uh, cause I, I like to run I've run in the winter. Like if it's super cold like that, you could run, you can get your blood pumping and all that jazz. But you know, when you stop, take a, a break, like a minute to catch your breath and like that, your lungs can hurt because mm-hmm. sucking in all that cold air, plus the exertion, like it, it can, it can bother you, let alone you're already injured and you're like, Running around for for several minutes at high exertion,
0: and and she also cut his hand probably pretty severely too.
3: Yeah, but all that, all those injuries and all that exertion and what was probably like you said like sub zero temperatures, he's really really exerting himself, and that's a lot of strain on your cardio pulmonary cardiovascular system for a mm-hmm. person who it didn't look like that dude was like running marathons in his spare time. No, he, he was an like, alcoholic. He's got a yeah. He's an
0: alcoholic smoker.
3: That yeah, was a he's teacher. like out of shape. Yeah, not not really in good physical condition regardless. And I don't know if you... Have you seen this movie? Uh, have you seen the movie Wind River? No. No? no? Uh, good movie. It's on Netflix. Uh, I think it's on Netflix. It's on one of the streaming services. It's done with... Jer- it had Jeremy Renner in it. And also... Uh, the other Olsen... Girl. Uh, Scarlet Witch. I think it's Elizabeth. Elizabeth. Yes. She's in it too. Uh, it's a movie that's really good. It's it's basically like, almost like a, a neo noir type of uh story, but there's in the premise of the movie is that there is it's on like the an Indian reservation and you had a character, a young woman who who died and you had to find out how and eventually they find out that uh she died of a Effectively, like a pulmonary embolism, uh, and the reason you find out how she died is that she had been sexually assaulted by a group of men, and she mm-hmm. was she had escaped from them and she was trying to run away. Uh, but it was kind of the same situation here, where it's like it's sub-zero temperatures, and I don't know if the medical science is exactly accurate, but they presented that that level of if you're going to like heavy exertion, which in this case was her running running away, trying to get away from her attackers doing that in sub zero temperatures, the blood vessels in her lungs literally created, it caused the pulmonary embolism, which Hmm. went to her to heart and took her out. Uh, Now, I don't know exactly that. That's the concept that Kubrick was going with, but I kind of took it like that where it's like this guy who's not in the best shape has been really just beat up by everything that happened over the course of the night. Uh, and running around in subzero temperatures in a blizzard with uh, all this heavy exertion and everything the, the cold air. Mm-hmm. I took it as like he was probably in this in this in the beginnings of like a heart attack or some some bad stuff was happening to him.
2: yeah, they, it does uh, him just clutching his chest is kind of movie shorthand for my body is breaking down in some yes. fashion. And that's, that's fine. You know, Mm -hmm. you don't have to, it could, my understanding and I could very well be flawed, but my understanding is that running in cold weather damages the, um, the alveoli in your lungs. And so you don't get the same kind of, uh, oxygen carbon dioxide crossover out of your bloodstream and all that good stuff. I, you know, what? okay, cool. I guess, um, I am not a runner. Never, never have been. Uh, at this point, never will. I run like a wounded buffalo. Not far, not fast, not long. Um, <laughs> and the... But, but to have Jack in the beat-up shape that he's already in, mm-hmm. now effectively doing laps in this maze, and since he doesn't know it, he's he's following his own tracks, too. Because he'll, he'll be running around. Because by the time he might realize something's he's so locked in and deranged that he just, he knew he was chasing Danny. Danny outsmarts him and is out of the maze while Jack's running around shouting for him. If he's even looking for tracks, he's probably gotten to the point where he's following his own tracks. And so, you know, he's just, he's just cutting laps in there and, you know, never coming out. And even if it wasn't sub zero doing in that, doing that at zero degrees, Mm-hmm when, you know, your your body's I, – I don't – there's an implication that he hasn't really eaten hardly much of anything for a while. He's already burned a bunch of energy. Now he's running around in the cold. His body's going to flat out run out of fuel. And, you know, getting tired and collapsing in the snow is, is just not going to work out well uh, mm-hmm. for anybody. So, you know, I, I don't mind – some people get grumpy about the ending, and that I, I don't mind it at all. I think it it makes turn it's in the internal logic makes sense. Whereas some um, some forms I visit they use the phrase verisimilitude. It has internal consistent logic, mm-hmm. and so yeah, okay, that you know it all makes sense and it progresses fine. Um, now since we mentioned Jack getting beat up. And I had mentioned earlier, you know, Wendy hitting points, not breaking. And, and Brad mentioned the baseball bat thing. I want to double back because to that, because all this violence being imminent, Wendy, like, takes the fight to Jack and yes, he's winning, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's funny because it's, you know, it, it's Jack Nicholson, you know, it. Yeah. There... Late eighties, early nineties. Everybody did the the vaguely threatening <clears throat> Jack Nicholson impression, and Shelley Duvall in this movie is playing like the human embodiment of like a skittish Chihuahua kind of. thing. Yes. Uh, well,
0: I there mean, was some... Should we talk about with her performance that I guess Stanley Kubrick like horribly bullied her on the set? Oh.
2: We'll we'll do let's do the 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 in character topic and then we'll go around to Kubrick and
3: the actors. Yeah. I I will say this about uh. About Wendy, the th- one of the things that I liked is that again, like she she played it straight, and I liked that. Again, she was very much she was very much looking to protect her child. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, a, a small detail that I really really appreciated is that when they were trapped in in the bathroom, and and Jack has uh, the axe, he's going to break in and presumably murder both them. She is able to get the window up. And get Danny out, but Mm -hmm. she can't get the window up enough to exit herself. And I liked that what she did. Her immediate thought was just to again protect her her child and sacrifice herself, need be, because she just goes to him and it's like run, run and hide. Mm -hmm. Like she has, she obviously doesn't want to die, but she uh, her thoughts are to her child first and foremost, and it's like have him run, have him be safe, let him like, it, you know, escape from Jack and I'm going to figure it out. And she, she, she wasn't just like, Oh, I, I meekly accept my fate. She, again, she attacked him with a knife. She cut his hand. I mean, she <laughs> smacked
0: I, him on the head with a bat too.
3: Yeah. I but, like that. She had a lot of agency and she did the best that she could, which I felt was
0: smart. and right. she, she, there's there's a lot of layers to what she did. So, one like she gets one up on him right away because he never thought with a second that she had the resolve to hit him with a bat. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and <laughs> she waffles him with it.
0: Well, she hits him in the hand, and I think I think when she realizes like she doesn't she doesn't waste her time because then she clocks him. But but even then she's a good person. She drags him into the freezer to lock him up presumably for weeks where he'll at least
3: have food.
2: Uh, it's yes. not in the freezer; it's the dry goods pantry. So she's
3: not trying to kill him. Yeah. What I'm yes. I like it uh, a lot too because he, she did trap him in there, but it's in it's in the dry goods food pantry. So it's like he's not going to die in terms of there is plenty in there that he could eat. so He's not going to die of starvation. Yeah. And he you can't even say he's going to die of dehydration because I'm sure there was plenty of like fruit juices and other things like that. If there was no water in there that he could clearly hydrate himself. Yeah. And it, I didn't I didn't get the impression that it was going to be weeks. It, she seems like she was, after the storm rolled over, she was going to try and go and get help from the town.
2: She said that she and Danny were going to go get in the snowcat and leave. Yes. And that's when he
3: told her that he, he wrecked. Yes. It. She didn't know that at that point in time, but that her, it, clear, it was clear to me that her intention was like, to go get help immediately. So he would, in theory, he would only be locked in that food pantry for, you know, maybe a day or two, but... I I I thought that was smart too. Like she she that's a a thing that I think was underappreciated when I watched it when I was much younger, but I appreciate it now as an adult. Is that she was smart about some of the, the choices she made. And mm-hmm. the choices were even even when she could have just like killed him and been done with it. Like she she was trying to do the best possible thing for everyone. And yeah.
0: And where I think she's smart is she's always resourceful. Um mm-hmm. She always makes, maybe not the best choice, but she makes a good choice, and like mm-hmm. she knows the difference, like when she needs to retreat and when she needs to fight. Mm-hmm. And I think um she really, I know the trope didn't exist then, but she is kind of like the counter of like the trope you would think of the damsel in distress because she mm-hmm. um she one ups him most of the way through, yeah, and outthinks him and. Even Danny ultimately outthinks him. Mm-hmm. But you um, can tell with her that she's she's always using her surroundings to the best that she can. And she's always thinking and she's trying to she and essentially even like when she cuts his hand, like she could have probably done more and like stabbed him in the neck there. But even then, she doesn't want to kill him.
2: Yeah, right. Well, it, uh, the hand attack when he reached through the door seemed like an attack of opportunity. Um,
0: well, if she had
2: reference here, but
0: I think I think there, though. She had to because if he yeah. got in, she was screwed. Right. And um, she had to show that she could. Hold him off, but also that she wasn't helpless.
2: Yeah. And the, it worked
0: because he eventually backed off because he realized.
2: So Danny was yeah, there. I. Yeah, I can't get in there. Um, Another thing that she did that's related to that is as soon as she got him, like she went to go see what was going on in the room. She went in there armed with a baseball bat. She clocks him. And when she took him and put him in the in the pantry, she got a big honking knife and kept it with her all the time. Like when Danny <clears throat> comes and, you know, he's writing red rum on the walls and stuff. And wakes her up. She has the thing right next to her. Like she's prepared. You know. In this horrible circumstance. Mm -hmm. So. And and that does bring up one thing. Is I wish. One thing I wish. That they would have delved into. Or explored a little bit more. It's Kubrick. So he likes to have things be. um, Ambiguous. Was Obviously Danny. Tony. It was in Danny's finger finger. There was like telling him stuff, right? Like that was part of his shine, but they never did touch on it because in his conversation with Halloran, Halloran's like, oh, yeah, the shining." It's like you can talk to people or see stuff or something like that. But he never mentions. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, helpful entities are going to tell you stuff. So it's like and I've looked it up. I know what. Tony I think is supposed to be but I wish they would have like touched on that more in the movie
3: yeah uh, that I wish I I agree with that because I (laughs) you're kind of left to think he's just like an imaginary friend but it's obviously like it it, there's there's other implications there yeah
2: there's there's something up but they never um you know they never and in Tony doesn't come into play at the end either that that's credit to the character of Danny, that Danny is um, capable of, uh, Uh, you know, um, capable of figuring his own way out. But you would figure it's like, you know, if you're an imaginary friend that, you know, can help us. Don't you think popping up here might be a nice thing to do?
3: (laughs) Yeah. And I think I think I, I liked about that. I get the one thing I did like though, is, like he didn't really play a factor, but the whole like Red Rum thing, I did appreciate that. Right before, so he Red run, Red Rum, and then he when when Wendy woke up and she saw like Red Rum's fell backwards, murder. Like mm-hmm. I thought that was clever because right at that moment, it kind of woke her up and to it shocked her. But then that was when this shit was going down with. Jack Mm -hmm. and then it spurred her to like kick into gear yeah throw Danny out the window to save him yeah stuff like that I did think that was kind of interesting
0: well in the book too Tony Mm -hmm. Tony tells him the red rum thing early and that's something that because Danny has um Danny has some internal monologue in the book Mm -hmm. and one of the things he's trying to come to grip with what which is he doesn't know what red rum is but he knows it's bad yeah, and okay. it's ominous. So it it plays like it's it's a the red rum thing is a um it's foreshadowing in the book for like a long time.
2: Okay. Um, one thing that also just going back to Wendy's competence because we we mentioned her putting Jack in the in the pantry, she won when she did that, it just so happens that the hotel cheats because Jack could not get out of there himself. Like that that's made very, very clear in how she locked it up. Like the hotel had to cheat to get Jack back on footing with her. And that's really interesting in that, like her being that, um, she's capable enough that in order for, Jack to be a threat again, the hotel's just like, oh god, seriously, dude. Fine, you know, we'll get you out. Don't screw it up again.
0: And the you know, Simpsons. The, the hotel off. had
2: to give him a mulligan.
0: In the Simpsons knockoff, they have to drag Homer out because he just wants to eat the food. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Moe's like, Mo's like, the ghouls and I have been talking, and we don't, we want, we we question your commitment to our cause. Mm-hmm. And he's um. like, can't talk eating. <laughs>
2: Well, that's a fitting uh subversion.
0: I like the shot though when he's in the freezer, like that from the ground up shot of his head as he's like leaning against the door, that's super creepy.
2: Yeah. Yeah. The he makes great use appropriately enough of the Kubrick stare at, over the course of this. So I also got the
0: scene going back to Jack Nicholson's performance, where Danny's like getting a toy and he calls him over, and he's just kind of sitting there, like, talking mm-hmm. to him a bit. That one's really good. Like, you can kind of see, like, where he's trying to hold on to the last vestiges of his sanity.
2: Oh, oh, when, when he goes and sits with Jack on the bed?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: That, to me, it seemed like that we have this moment of what the relationship between Jack and Danny is supposed to look like. And that seemed kind of like a nice... I have come across some people online that that maintain that that Danny has been molested at some point along with being abused. And I'm like, I'm not sure where you're getting that from the movie. Like I'm not seeing that.
0: No, it wasn't honest. It was an honest mistake in the book.
2: Yeah, right. Well, no, not just the the abuse part, yeah, but the like there's some people who who are making the case that that like jack sexually molested danny at some point in i would
0: i would argue in the movie
2: and i'm like um
0: my argument to that was is this was made and and written with a 70s perspective and that was not something that was thought of much in the 70s so no as far as like the narrative goes he was not
3: yeah i i didn't take it i in reading the book and reading and watching the movie back then and again i don't I don't think that the, there was like sort of any sort of like sexual molestation subplot. I I think obviously there was a subplot of of Jack being a violent drunk and I if I recall there was kind of some implic, there was some there were some references in the book where it seemed like his dad was abusive if not sexually abusive but just
0: like, abusive,
3: yeah. A physically abusive towards him. Mm-hmm. So it was there was kind of some themes about how like Jack Torrance was falling into the, maybe potentially the same patterns with his son. Mm-hmm. But I don't think there was any sort of sexual aspect of it. It was more like a, a is is he is he an alcoholic? Uh, and he was at some point. Right? And then yeah. is he is he like physically abusive to his kid? Well,
0: and, he assaulted a yeah, student super... in the book too. So he yes. had a history of, of violence.
3: yeah anger
0: yeah
2: but it's just one of those things i saw that and i'm like ah i'm not that that feels like someone trying to be edgy and insert more into it than is really there
0: i think it's too much of it is too much of looking at something made in 1980 with a modern eye
2: yeah the uh let's let's go ahead and and look at the ending on it um what, what do you make of the ending that with the, uh, uh, you know, the photo and all that sort of stuff? What, what's I your actually, take on that ending?
3: Uh, I actually like that a lot, and I think that's something that watching this film years later, I'd never picked it up on, again and, and like the first time I watched it, but was something that they did kind of make obvious if you're paying attention when Jack starts going on about giving basically like a solilo- soliloquy about how like you know i I feel like i've i've always been here at the overlook hotel and then the photo at the end it did kind of imply there was some sort of weird like time loop thing and you you saw that uh in his bathroom conversation
0: yeah because grady says the same thing he with did. grady
3: yeah grady he's like i have like you've always been the caretaker here and yeah. it's like if uh, I like that concept, and I was trying to explain to my wife, I think that the concept they are trying to go with in the movie, um, I don't recall this in the book, but definitely in the movie, the concept they're kind of going with is that if time is the fourth dimension, but if you actually appreciate the concept of time as the fourth dimension, then and this is starting to like really weird and metaphysical, but it's like time as a fourth dimension concept is that Literally everything that has ever happened or is ever going to happen exists at the same point in time. It's like it's just all there, and we only appreciate time because we are we are, we live it in a very linear fashion. But what if conceptually the hotel exists, but ghosts, for lack of a better way, that are trapped in the hotel or have died in the hotel, things like that. What if in the in the environment, the closed environment of the hotel exist at effectively all points in time when the hotel so meaning like they exist from the very big, from the hotel's creation to the whenever the hotel eventually gets burned down and the book gets burned down but yeah it doesn't that doesn't happen in the, in the movie but conceptually uh someone who dies you know a hundred well 50 years ago in the hotel versus someone who died like you know the next day in the hotel they would all effectively exist in the hotel Conceptually, like at the same point in time. So there's this weird, like metaphysical time loop, trapped environment where it's like, yes, uh, in that sense, Jack's spirit would have existed in the hotel. It could always exist in the hotel. Uh, and there's there's probably like some weird reincarnation aspects of it too, which I don't think was fully fleshed out in the movie, but yeah. I I really, really liked the photo at the end because I felt Again, I like I like I like the film and the story being presented as like a supernatural ghost story of sorts. So mm-hmm. I liked that because it to me like that was explicitly paranormal.
0: Now I, I have like, I have an alternate um I have an alternate take on it. Okay. So my alternate take on it is those sorts of things were the house trick well, the hotel tricking him and playing upon his ego and his narcissism.
1: Mm-hmm
0: to make him think that like this was his place. And that's part of like making him think he's always been there. You know, just mm-hmm. like Grady said the same thing about how he'd always been there. Mm-hmm. And you figure when Grady went down just by the bit, he acted that the house also played on his ego and narcissism. Mm-hmm. And part of that is making them believe that, you know, that is their place and they've always mm-hmm. been there. But I mean, I think it could be either, or I'm not, I'm not married any concept, I kind of wanted to give a different, a different interpretation of what all of that could have been too. I
3: do like the concept that if if you if you accept that the the Overlake itself is almost like a living entity or hive mind, however you want to view it. If you mm-hmm. accept that that it, it is at least like some sort of intelligent driving force, I do like the concept that you know if you are if you dive, your spirit is trapped in its clutches that it then gets to, it then effectively decides what it wants to do with you so then maybe you know you were the caretaker like Grady maybe it decides like actually no your role is going to be as uh, you know a waiter in our uh, 1920s cocktail club
0: serving avocado but,
3: Yeah, serving avocado uh, so because that serves the function of uh corrupting this other guy who's going to come 10 years later. I I did kind of like that concept. I don't think... It's, it's a lot you could try that you have to kind of read into things, but I did like that idea.
0: Yeah, but that would work with your concept, mm-hmm. too, because so if he dies there, then he joins that picture, and he now mm-hmm. is just a party-goer, and it's like... It's masquerade going yeah. forward.
2: Mm-hmm. My... the the weird theory that I've cobbled together kind of goes with Matt's in that there's this recursive element in so there, there are roles, right? There's the caretaker. I I, I guess it's almost framed like a 13 ghosts thing in my mind. There's the caretaker and the bartender and, and so on and so forth. It's like the, the overlook as an eldritch location Has this bag of tricks of bad stuff that's happened there that it pulls out to screw with people? One of those bags of tricks is the the crazy caretaker, which ended up, which was the prophecy fulfilled in being Jack Torrance. But once it got Jack Torrance, then it became recursive, and that it was always Jack Torrance, and so. Mm -hmm. You have this, like, why is he in the the photograph from the twenties? Because, well, he is now. Like, it, it, it's it's this reality bending kind of location itself that goes to sleep during the during the on season because it's just waiting for more bad stuff to happen there. Mm-hmm. So once Jack shows up and dies yeah. on the grounds, now it's in the clutches. Of the Overlook, and the Overlook has Jack both forwards and backwards in time, and so there is "quote unquote" the overseer, and so. Um,
0: well, that makes. And sense. you
2: just said his name, and I, the the previous caretaker with the family. Grady. Grady reacts that way to his family because the hotel shoves Jack into Grady's head to get Grady to do it.
0: Well, I think, and that's why um, it's the
2: same weapon and that sort of stuff.
0: Well, I think, I think. I don't remember if the book goes into it more, but but I think actually Jack, to go along with what you're saying, I think Jack is actually inconsequential. It wants Danny, and it tries yes. to attack him, indirectly and directly can't do it. Wendy is a no go because she's not going to fall for its crap. So mm-hmm. it goes for Jack. So my I don't remember if the book says so, but I'm guessing one of Grady's kids um shined. And it was just successful that time.
2: Well, in the book, isn't it supposed to be implied that Jack can shine, too, but he just doesn't?
0: Maybe. Uh,
2: That's that's something I've seen pop up here and there is that he he can shine, too, not to the level that Danny can. But. um...
0: But he's he's ultimately the weak link, and that's why the house goes for him, too. Yeah. But it wants Danny, And I'm wondering if. I'm wondering if that's kind of the idea behind Grady is one of the one or both of the children shined. And again, Grady was a similar weak link. And, you know, Jack and Grady just happened to be. um, Similar in their. um, Weaknesses, and that's how and the house could just play back the same. Mm -hmm. The same. um, The same, you know, gameplay to get them
2: the i go with the recursive thing because of the picture like Grady got for lack of a better term jacked up for his his rampage and that sort of thing um it, that's that's how i take what the picture is but um you know it's it's open enough to interpretation that could it could be about anything
0: and i think uh, like um i think why dick is safe is because he's not there alone but I also think he's not as um, proficient as Danny is.
3: Uh, yeah, I feel like the book kind of went more into that. But uh, in the book, Danny is clearly implied to be extraordinarily powerful with his shine because he's mm-hmm. he is practically at or above Dick Halloran's level, and Dick Hallorann is an adult man, and Danny is like a you know a young child. My wife mm-hmm.
0: said that um, Dick was trained by his grandmother, so he probably had defenses in place as well.
2: Oh, mm. yeah. And he's he he's aware of what's going on. Mm. So he's not he's not easy pickings. That makes sense. Um, there
3: there is an implication. I don't know if it's more in the book or I think it is more in the book that that during the uh, the active season when the hotel is active, uh, meaning their guests that are. Return routine, like routinely actually staying at the resort. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like an implication that the the hotel doesn't isn't very active uh, mm-hmm. in terms of its like ghosts and or psychic ability because it doesn't want to kind of draw attention to itself. Mm-hmm. So that's that that would lend itself to the the concept. Of, so why, why was Decalaren like protected? Because it didn't want to tip its hand per se. It wanted to prey upon. You know the more, the more weak uh, people when it could when there's like less people there w- mm-hmm. that's kind of why it was going after the caretakers, mm-hmm. uh, yeah something like that. Uh, I think that was kind of like how it was presented in the book. Okay. It,
2: it's it, it's I don't know. I, for me, it's kind of fun to mess with the metaphysical idea, So that's that's kind of where my mind goes to with it, but. It, you know we've got this um and we've got this open to interpretation thing and that's you know that's where i go with it. so the um it, do we want to have any any final recommendations or closing thoughts on this or anything like that
0: um i recommend i'm going to say it's a flawed movie but it's worth the time it, watch doctor sleep if you've seen the shining i think it has um it's an interesting follow-up.
2: Hmm.
3: Okay. What about you, Matt? Uh, I have not seen Doctor Sleep. Uh, or I would probably, I probably want to read the book versus see the movie, but I, I guess I could do both at some point. But I did. I like I said. I did. I liked the movie a lot when I was younger, much younger. Watching it again, I did not like it as much. I think because I. I kind of was able to pick apart some things and look at it more critically and there I, I saw things that I didn't like about it or I felt mm-hmm. that the book did better or could have been approved upon that said um, talking out with you guys there are a lot of things that I actually did like about the movie that I think are well done or are more subtle but that uh, it kind of brings the points home the story home the little aspects I felt were were really good in terms of like the characterization, mm-hmm. uh, so I I did appreciate that. I think that the performances were good. I, I actually, everyone always talks about about uh, Nicholson and his performance, but I'm kind of like, was it you, Brad? like it, I, or maybe it was you, Chad. Like, I kind of felt like he, he was so he was almost scenery chewing at points, yeah. Um, which I get it. Uh, it's many people would probably consider it, like iconic, but again, looking at it as an adult with a critical eye, I think that the performances by Danny and by by uh, Shelley Duvall as Wendy were way more subtle and way more impressive to me.
0: I thought um, I thought Scatman Crothers did a good job. Like the look on his face, like when he's in bed and Danny like shines at him, like the realization mm-hmm. that comes over his face, and like you just he didn't have to say anything. I thought he was a good, he was a good, like warm presence too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, um, they do a good job of building him up to just like kill him and like kind of cast him aside. Really. I thought his character arc was interesting. I don't know if it was great, but it was interesting.
3: I did like the, obviously Danny, like basically f- felt him die with the shining. Yeah, I did like that. Scene. I mean, that's kind of almost like an iconic scene, but you see him like in just in terror, yeah, at what was happening. Like I thought that was uh, that was good.
0: And then they just have it, axes yeah. laying around so he can get another one. That was kind of a bad <laughs> look by the management.
3: Yeah. Well, you got, you see him you see him give Dick like one axe blow to the the chest, mm-hmm. but when you kind of do like a flash, when, when you see like a flash where Wendy sees Dick, uh,
0: just laying no there with it. an ax still in his chest.
3: Yes. But I felt like there was, there was, I felt like they were clearly implying that Jack had gone to work on him a little bit more because he, he there was a lot of blood.
0: Can we take it? I just want to bring it up because I just watched it, but there's, um, the Simpsons Halloween special where they do the, the this willie comes in and homer gets him in the back and he's like is that all you've got and then he just collapses but in <laughs> each of the ones he gets one-shotted like that and the third time he's like oh i'm bad at this and then he just dies <laughs> i think that's when they were eating the kids he comes in and then he just takes it acts like i'm bad at this and then he's dead
2: uh, the thing for me is that in the um in this movie, like Jack's downfall, it's 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 too for me. It's 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 Jack Nicholson just being a lot of Jack Nicholson, and you know I don't have a um, I don't I don't see the uh, the downfall as as starkly. As I would kind of like, you know, I want to, I, I would want to see him be a, um, you know, start better, and then the the depth is is a sharper drop off. See the book. You know,
0: this is where the book is better. I'm gonna yeah. say unequivocally because in the book, he's likable. Um, you get more of his past. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Like, cause you find out what actually makes him stop drinking is. So he he had a friend. They used to call them, they would drink martinis, and they would call them Green Martians, I believe. And um, they're driving home drunk one night, and they think they hit a child.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: they get out, and they look, and they look, and they look. And they don't see anything at all. But he swears like he thought they hit a kid, and that scares him sober.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so they're, in the book, they go to town sometimes. So you can, he starts to slip a little bit, like he's doing really good. And they talk about when he was hungover, he would dry chew Excedrin tablets.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: He's trying to call someone. He's just is in this booth and he starts chewing Excedrin tablets. And you're just like, ah, oh, come on, dude! Like, no, stop, bad. Yeah, yeah. And um, they really, they really, they really interweave like a lot of stuff. Like he's writing this play. He has writer's block, and then he freaks out like right before the downfall because they don't explicitly say it, but he all along saw himself as the protagonist and they Mm -hmm. actually really smartly weave it in where you realize that he's more like the bad guy than the protagonist. And the protagonist is more like that kid he assaulted. And he kind of realizes that right before the downfall. And he freaks out and realizes he put all this work into this, this play that he absolutely despises.
2: Right. Um, it's, for me, it's. I think the real, um, the real star of this is really more the hotel itself because it's about how what's going on and how it's portrayed and that sort of like it, it's it's happening in the background, but the weird stuff that's going on with it. And I I haven't gone back looking specifically, but I am pretty well sure. That it's there's stuff happening in the background and things changing from how it was in previous shots and stuff like that. I, I, I you know, I, I haven't gone back through it to watch it, and I probably won't because, you know, it's a good movie, but it's it, not my usual fare.
0: No, uh, we we took Chad out of his comfort zone for yeah, this
2: one. Yeah. Okay. Quick background, like if you had me list my top five movies, I could list four of them, and then my fifth one I either don't have pinned down or it rotates, but they're usually more fun. Uh, <laughs> so it's a, um, you know, I'm 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 looking at, and I'm thinking that the the tone and the 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 ambiance of the hotel is um is really the the star of this.
0: You know what? I was just thinking what the, what the sense of dread and terror that this movie really invokes reminds Mm -hmm. me a lot of actually the, the end run of jaws when they're just at at sea at, you know, and the sharks kind of like harassing them. Mm -hmm. It has that same same like underlying tension and dread Mm -hmm. and like it goes slow because if it's, if the movie's slow, that makes the tension worse because there's all this Mm -hmm. dead space and you're just waiting for something to happen.
2: Yeah. Yeah. There's the, the tensions really, uh, the tension really ramps up, but it doesn't ramp up too fast that it, you know, it kills it too much. You know, if you, if you got to, if you got to the point too early, then you know, the, the tension wouldn't, uh, it would be over too quickly. It builds nice and slow.
0: Yeah, it does a good job of getting all the set pieces together. Right.
2: If if the I think the biggest thing that this movie excels at is the setting, setting the scene and the tone, that's that's what I would call the biggest thing. I know there's other stuff that's considered more iconic, but that's that's what I would say that the, the biggest strength is. But all right, hey, do we have any other closing thoughts, guys?
3: I don't think so. This was a good movie to pick for for Halloween.
0: Yeah, I agree. This is the, actually, I think, the first time we've done a movie. Yeah, I like think it
2: episode. is. We cool. may do more of that. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah, I kind of want to do. I kind of want to do Transformers the movie at some point mm-hmm. for like an episode.
2: Ah,
0: I'd be down. And um, I would actually like to do this for Beyond the Mat, too.
2: Oh, interesting.
0: We, I might have to, in a long time. we might have to sucker Dames or Tim on for Beyond the Mat.
2: For Beyond the Mat. Yeah, yeah. I remember Tim talked yeah. about that as a...
0: That was, like, iconic if you were, like, an Attitude Era fan, especially, like... I think that's, like, for some people, that's, like, the first time they really got smacked with, like, the, the behind-the-scenes stuff.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was that was the first big pull in the curtain back, um, and if, every time I think of Beyond the Mat, I feel a little bit bad for Mike Modest because I'm always like, ah, he that guy should have been bigger.
0: Didn't Roland <laughs> Alexander just die, or is he still alive?
2: Uh I I can't remember what the context was, but I'd heard something about him not long ago. But if he died, that means I missed it.
0: Okay, I might be wrong.
2: So. I'm not sure, but um,
0: John Cena wrestled for that promotion when he was the prototype, actually.
2: Yes, yes, he did.
0: I think he actually might be in the background of like one of those shots. Do you think he'd started by that point? Be around that time. There's the whole discovery thing on him around 2000, I think.
2: I did see that. I think it was a little bit later because it was after he had uh, achieved some notoriety but yeah. Uh, the um, yeah we may dig in on that so uh, hey everybody out there if you liked this and you'd like for us to do more movie discussion breakdown stuff let us know um, hit us up on social media sorry about that the um, you know do you agree with us do you disagree with us we would love to hear from you and heck you got a request on that front send it in we'll take We'll uh, we'll uh, look at it. There's some stuff that that I, I, you know, I might just absolutely tap out on and just be like, no, 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 I'm not. <laughs> That's not what I'm doing. But we will absolutely look at every request that comes in. Uh, so with all of that being said, uh, this is Shad with Matt and Brad. We've been in three quarters. You're in the fourth and we'll catch you next time.